Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Texas, Arizona, the fall classic is here. Now, if you at the start of the season had gone to Bet Online Sportsbook, used our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, and gotten your 50% welcome bonus using the link in the description to this episode, you could have gotten the Texas Rangers at plus 5,000 to win the World Series and the Arizona Diamondbacks at plus 6,600 as world champions. Diamondbacks had the 25th best odds. Texas had the 20th best odds. If you want to take a stab at the World Series now, bet online sportsbook, use our promo code BLEAVE to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast, and podcasts aren't live. It's the whole purpose of this here podcasting thing that we do. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose, and we appreciate that you have decided to stop in however and whenever it is that you may be choosing. Welcome, 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 everybody. It's a fantabulous Thursday, November 9th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count. You might be listening on a Friday, a Monday, a Tuesday, even a Saturday, Sunday. But however and whenever you might be listening, we appreciate that you have decided to make time for us. Juju Talk Sports is joining us here on the show today. Super pumped to have him with us. We are great, great friends, great partners in this radio business. One of the few people that you develop chemistry with and you want to keep doing content with over and over again because you know you have that rapport, you know you have that connection, and Juju and I have a lot to break down today, so we're just going to jump right into it without an introduction or an A block or whatever you might end up thinking. We're going to jump into it today. We're going to talk about the San Francisco 49ers and their struggles over the past, what I guess is basically now 31 days. I mean, it's been a full calendar month since the last time the San Francisco 49ers won a football game. Remember that when that Dallas Cowboy fan was was getting memed for calling someone on his phone during that Sunday night football game? Yeah, that was the last time the San Francisco 49ers won a football game. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Vikings, who seem to be the the darling story of the NFL after Joshua Dobbs, without knowing any of the plays, came in and kicked ass against the Falcons defense that might be the team this year that has like the most disparity of like, are they good or are they not good? Because I've seen regular stats like points per game and yards allowed that say they're good. Nerd stats that say they're bad, nerd stats that say they're average, nerd stats that say they're good. It's very confusing where the where the, the Vikings defense stands, but all I know is they gave up 28 points to Joshua Dobbs, who had to learn the cadences with his offensive line and go blind into the broadcast without knowing any of the plays. So we'll talk about the Vikings coming up. We'll talk about the Buffalo Bills. There's just a whole bunch of great content coming at you today, and uh, we're going to take a little journey around the NFL with you with some of the teams that uh, Juju and myself find to be the most interesting. But we'll start it off with some San Francisco 49er talk right here on this fun-filled sports radio Thursday. And since we're going to do Niners talk, let's just play the Jimmy Garoppolo theme song. I know the 49ers have 
gracefully escaped Jimmy Garoppolo purgatory, but I think the Jimmy Garoppolo theme song, Any Chance We Get, is really good, and it embodies basically how we've gotten to this point over the last two years with the San Francisco 49ers. Garoppolo drops back to throw. You're gonna lose the game. The seasons come and seasons go. The Niners need a change. If you don't throw check downs, you're gonna take a sack. Jimmy G is warming up. Yeah, he's your quarterback. No, don't throw it. Interceptions drive us all insane. Phones are calling. Ron Rivera wants to make a trade. If a rookie QB isn't in your plans, just call San Francisco up. They got your quarterback. They say he's smart, and he wins games. That don't mean a thing. If since week one, Trey Lance had played, the 49ers would have had a ring. If your team's rebuilding, talent's what you lack. Trade two picks for Jimmy G. Now he's your quarterback. I guess let's talk about it. The 49ers off a three-game losing streak. Lovely. I, as if I haven't heard enough about this shit over the last two weeks, let's do it. <laughs> I'm sure you've definitely been inundated by it, being that you are in the Bay Area. But yes, we do have to continue this conversation. The San Francisco 49ers, three-game losing streak. Obviously, my mental health is in a state of disarray at this point, especially coming off just that crushing of Dallas three weeks ago. Hey, Micah Parsons said it, and I'll co-sign what he said. The NFL has a way of humbling you, and I think the Niners, you know, they got humbled coming off of that primetime showing. They, they go into Cleveland. I wrote off some excuses for them. Hey, West Coast team going to the East Coast, earlier start time, couple injuries, bad weather, kicker misses the couple of kicks in that game. Okay, you know, you move on, you lick your wounds, you go into the next week. then. The Minnesota Vikings happens, and it, the, the running game was inconsistent. The defense couldn't stop anyone. Brock Purdy with a couple late turnovers, and now okay, two game losing streak. That's not that's not good. <laughs> then we get into the Cincinnati game. Cincinnati coming off bye week again. Defense can't stop anyone. No pass rush to be seen on the field out there. Running game struggles again, and Brock Purdy once again a couple late turnovers. It's been a, a bit of a mess the last three weeks, and I know that a lot of people are going to start off with the quarterback conversation, and I think that's a fair point to start off. These last three weeks of Brock Purdy, has this changed any perspective? Has this completely overshadowed anything we said about Brock Purdy in the first five weeks of the season? It hasn't overshadowed a lot of the stuff with Brock Purdy. I mean, I implored people implored people to evaluate with a small sample size on Brock Purdy please please look at the sample size metrics for Brock Purdy but the other part of it was that Brock Purdy probably has some kind of injury right he he had concussion like symptoms coming out of the Vikings game people deduced that he was like two for dicks with two interceptions after the play where he likely sustained a concussion against Minnesota so like from the Brock Purdy standpoint I think 
that's not the reason why the 49ers have dropped three games in a row, but that's probably the thing people will point to in saying, see, look at this guy who's now, I think, thrown two touchdowns and five interceptions over the last three games. Like, that's the easy thing that people will point to as a result, but it's not the reason the 49ers are five and three. Yeah, I think more concerning the Brock Purdy. And yes, I am concerned to the extent that he's throwing interceptions, which was something that was uncharacteristic of the early goings of his career. I am concerned in that respect, and I do hope that they will correct it because he's still making good throws. Kurt Warner actually pointed this out. that He's still making good throws in the game. Kyle Shanahan even pointed out that you do look at some of the highlight reel throws that he's making, and they are impressive. There was this one scramble that he had on like third down, late in the red zone, and he made magic happen. So I'm still walking away knowing that there's something there, that there's something to Brock Purdy that's just not all fiction. I don't know how much the concussion played into it, but that's for a doctor to say more than for me to say. But what I would say is more concerning is that defense, man, as imposing as they were through those first five weeks, they have just not had any of that same energy in the last three. Like PJ Walker was trying his best to give them the game in Cleveland. Uh, defense couldn't take advantage of those. But against Minnesota and Cincinnati, they have just failed and struggled to stop anyone. I think I saw uh, Rogers, um is allowing a hundred percent like completion percentage against him when he's targeted. And, uh, you know, that's uh, just downright disgusting numbers for any defensive back to allow. And I wonder, you know, obviously the trade deadlines today, we'll see. There's probably some takes away. aid. I think the Niners should do their best to acquire help. Who would that player is? If it happens, that's, you know, we're not going to get too much into the weeds on that one because who knows, that's going to be dated by the time we release this video. But what I would say is they they should be trying to make a move because this defense needs some sort of spark to it. And it sucks when you have the highest paid defensive player in the league now, Nick Bosa. You have Hargraves, who you'd spend all this money on, and you can't get to the passer. I know Richard Sherman, he's calling for Steve Wilkes' head. I know a lot of Niners fans are calling for Steve Wilkes' head. Um, there's just a different energy. You know, you go back to the Minnesota game, there's the all out blitz before the halftime, which you look at that and you're like, is that the game right there? That, I mean, you don't allow that touchdown and suddenly you're talking about winning that game. But at the same time, Traveris Ward should have intercepted that ball too. So, you know, it's kind of funny how like that kind of stuff like shifts around the narrative. But I do think that Steve Wilkes is an obvious downgrade from what they've had in Robert Sala and uh, D'Amico Ryans over the last couple of years. There seems to be some sort of odd chemistry that hasn't really developed between how he calls plays, how the Niners want him to call plays. And I think that that's been one of the biggest issues for the Niners as they've struggled the last three weeks. Yeah, the thing that I've pointed out with like the, the the overreacting on Wilkes is like if they were six and two and still winning the division, there wouldn't be this level of outrage towards Steve Wilkes. Now, I think people are pointing to like, the, the touchdown that Addison had that Ward ripped away. How could you possibly call engage eight on that defensive play when it was right at the end of the half? And like fair criticism, that's a that's a misstep on his part for the play calling. But I, I think that the 49ers defense, it was a very good unit before and it's taken a step back here in the last couple of weeks. But I don't I think the, the, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle, right? They probably weren't as good as when they were holding the Cowboys to 10 points. But they are, or the Steelers, who are a bad offense, they basically kept them from scoring the entire game. They're probably not that, but they're also probably not as bad as giving up 22 consecutive completions to Joe Burrow, right? Like they're probably the answer is somewhere in the middle. Uh, Diamador Lenore has had just an awful two weeks, like just it's been a tough break for him. I don't know if he's battling injury or what the deal is with that, but it just has been tough on him. Uh, obviously, people are talking about needing to trade for a corner. They want them to get in on Jalen Johnson or Kenny Moore or one of these corners that's available at the trading deadline. And, you know, fair criticism, Isaiah Oliver hasn't quite been the answer they were hoping for. But, yeah, defensively, it's been it's been strange to to see that regression. I would assume the answer is somewhere in the middle for what they'll be by the time the end of the season rolls around, especially if they get Dre Greenlaw healthy so that he's actually performing like he's out there but he's not really like giving them the yeah. performances they need from Greenlaw. 
Yeah, I mean, defensively, there's a lot of things you can point to that are that are iffy for the 49ers, but things that I wouldn't be like hitting the panic like we need to, to massively shake this thing up. Like all the pieces are there. They've been relatively healthy. And now, well, the offensive side of the ball, that's another question because we can point to regression on the offensive side of the ball. But defensively, I don't think it's time to like hit the panic button or anything like that. Yeah. Sorry, Steve Wilkes is not as good as D'Amico Ryan's. Apologies. It's it's really hard to find Robert Sala or D'Amico Ryan's from a coaching staff pool that is available to everyone. I know people are pointing out like, but Wilkes is the highest paid defensive coordinator in the league. And I understand that point. Absolutely. But, you know, he's not D'Amico Ryan's. Sorry. It's this tough rank. It's, I, I don't think we have to jump the gun that far on it because if they were six and two, there wouldn't be this kind of outrage. Well, yes, there would be in the sense that if the defense was still struggling and they were six and two, like if they were able to escape with a victory against Minnesota or even Cincinnati and the defense was still working at this pace, there would have still been some outrage because there is the tangible difference. And I think a lot of Niners fans are also upset because uh, what was available to them this offseason, a lot of Niners fans were advocating for a Vic Fangio reunion. Obviously, Vic Fangio, he ended up taking his talents to Miami. This was one of the first times, too, in the Kyle Shanahan administration in which they went outside of the organization for defensive coordinator. Robert Sala was his this guy that he hired right when he got there, and he had him up until the point where Robert Saul obviously got his opportunity with the Jets. And then D'Amico was right behind him as the linebacker coach, elevated him easily to the D.C. position. And then once he got the, the job in Houston, well, now it's like, okay, who do we hire? Do we want to go in-house? Do we want to elevate Chris Kacarek? Kacarek, you know, they were lucky to still keep him in-house, but you go out there and get Wilkes and it feels as though, at least through the early goings here, like you made the wrong choice. And I know one of the big conversations on Twitter has been, or X or whatever has been, should Steve Wilkes step out of the booth and onto the fill? Now I would say if I was in those guys positions, I think there would be some advantages to being in the booth. You can see the whole game. You have access to technology right there. And then, um, you know, you don't have as many bodies getting in your way, getting in your ear. So at least it's an opportunity to like really sit down and study what you need to study. But um, when you compare that to D'Amico, who was on the field, who was in his guy's ear, who was hyping the guys up. You know, we talked about what D'Amico brought to the Houston Texans, that leader of men aspect. I do think that there is a drop off there. So I don't know if it would make a tangible difference to have Steve Wilkes step down from the booth and onto the field, because if he can't bring that same energy that D'Amico had, I don't know if that really matters, right? Like, unless you're going to be the hype guy on the field, like when you step out of that booth, I don't think it really matters if he was going to step onto the sideline to call plays. Um, So, you know, that's my piece on Steve Wilkes. Um, As far as the Niners offense, you said they've been lucky to not really deal with injuries. Well, to an extent, obviously, Trent Williams, Debo Samuel being out the last couple of weeks has hurt them. I guess I didn't realize how much it wouldn't necessarily hurt them, you know, I would have to deep dive into the tape and just say like, oh, if Debo was there, this guy would have been open. Or if uh, Trent Williams was there, this block would have been taken care of. So I don't know like how much of a drop off Jalen Moore was in the grand scheme of things. I know that they were able to have like a 70 something PFF grade. But, you know, you compare that to Trent Williams, who consistently is high 90s in his PFF grade. You know, so losing that guy, that's nothing to like dismiss obviously you losing all pros is not a good thing so not having Debo on the field not having Trent Williams on the field you need those guys if you really want to win a Super Bowl which I I think for Niners fans it's not about winning the NFC West obviously now you're in a position where you're down in the NFC West it's about winning the Super Bowl so you want these guys healthy at the right time but you also don't want to fuck yourself over in seeding too because now you're five and three the Eagles are six and one that game in Philadelphia a few weeks from now, it kind of lost its level of importance a little bit in the grand scheme. So, you know, that, that does hurt them overall when it comes down to winning the ultimate prize. want to give a shout out to my guy, Emil Fergoso. He's our, our Niners insider at the radio station. He goes out to the training camp and, and practice once a week and stuff like that. And he made this point in the preseason and it stands to be, this is why he said they would go 10 and seven at the start of the season, which is, the most valuable player on 
the San Francisco 49ers on paper, the most talented team in the NFL, other than maybe the team in Philadelphia. But let's say that for all intents and purposes, the best, the most valuable player on the most talented team in the NFL is a left tackle. Trent Williams is the most valuable player on the San Francisco 49ers. And if he goes down, they don't have a suitable replacement to match the production that Trent Williams is giving them. Granted, I'm not a big X's and O's tape guy, so I can't really give you the evaluation of who was better or who was worse uh, no. ter- or like how, how losing Trent Williams impacted if, the game. But it's clear that. Yeah. If, you know, I was to kind of like theorize of the major impact, I would say, look at the running game the last three weeks and how there's been a significant drop off there. If not in ding, ding, from, ding. Yes, yes. If not for pass blocking, I think certainly in run blocking, because you look at what Trent Williams does when Kyle Shanahan tells him, Hey, go take out that cornerback. Go run over that 180-pound cornerback right there and break open a hole for Christian McCaffrey to run through. That's something that Trent Williams is able to do, unlike any other left tackle in the league. And the second part of it, which I haven't seen data from the Bengals game, so I don't know how this changed, but in the two weeks uh, against Cleveland and against Minnesota, Brock Purdy averaged 0.6 seconds less of snap-to-throw time as compared to when Trent Williams was on the field which I know it's 0.6 seconds. That's a lot of fucking time. Like it, by NFL metrics, that's the difference between like, uh, if, if you're subtracting 0.6 seconds, that's the difference between like first and like ninth in the NFL in terms of snap to throw time. And I don't think that the Niners were number one by any stretch because their offense is predicated on getting the ball out faster sport number one and longest in the first place. But besides the point, like that's a big difference in snap to throw time. And again, I don't know what happened last week, but you can see bait like the basic numbers of rushing attack has gone down in yards uh even as they've maintained a similar number of carries and snap to throw time has gone down that yeah what's the thing that's changed trent williams is out now are these selective facts absolutely it's a very very small sample size that we're working with in addition to the fact that the other thing that's changed in those two weeks is brock purdy turning the ball over a lot more and they're trusting him to throw the ball more on offense because regardless of Brock Purdy playing poorly or good in the last game. He had the most passing yards of his NFL career in the game against the Bengals. (laughs) He threw more passing yards in that game than any previous game in his career. And you know what the the final score was? 31 to 17. And by the way, it wasn't a 17 where like they missed a field goal or something. It was just 17. (laughs) They just gave you 17 points on offense. And by the way, this is why it's easier to explain what's happened to the offense for the Niners. In the first loss of the season, 17 points. The second loss of the season, 17 points. Third loss of the season, 17 points. They are a 17-point-per-game offense since all these injuries started piling up. And if you remember, in their first five games, they were the only team in the NFL to score 30 or more points in all five games. It was getting to a point there early on where I was ready to call this offense a walking 30. And the same way we talk about NBA players and just say he's a walking bucket, I was calling this Niners offense a walking 30 points. But like you mentioned, in the last three weeks, it's been a walking 17, which has left them walking away with three L's consecutively. So, you know, this Niners team, they're in a tough position. But, you know, this bye week, I guess you could say this bye week couldn't have come at a better time because you will get Trent Williams back after the bye. You will get Debo Samuel back after the bye. Anyone else that has some injuries, you'll allow them a little bit extra time to get ready. I did see that Aaron Banks, turf toe, he's going to be out for three weeks. So that's unfortunate. They're losing a left guard that was really coming into his own. Like Aaron Banks really stepped up last season with Lincoln Tomlinson gone. But if Aaron Banks can't go for another two weeks, that's going to suck. They're obviously going to have to rotate pieces inside. Um, I know they built up a lot of versatility as far as their offensive line backups. Uh, so hopefully someone could step up there and at least plug that hole for a little bit. Um, and But you get Trent Williams back, you're good. After the bye, they have games against Jacksonville, Tampa coming up. I mentioned that Philadelphia game. So it is going to be a tough stretch for the Niners. And let's not forget, they also face the Seahawks, which those Seahawks games just become that much more important than they were earlier on in the season. Because now I think you if need I those to walk away. If I remember correctly, I think they go Seahawks, Philadelphia, Seahawks, too, uh, at that stretch of the season. I think I one of them is them a Thursday night game, if I'm not mistaken, either. Yeah, uh, it, it's going to be a tough stretch for them. And the last thing that I want to touch on before we go uh, is about Kyle Shanahan, 
Uh, since the last time we talked about this, I learned this stat and it, we added in the Bengals game that Kyle Shanahan is 0-37 in games where he's been trailing in the fourth quarter by five points. And, or five, I think it was five points or fewer. And it's like, oh, in 12 in games where it's 10 points or more, uh, which makes sense, right? We don't think of Kyle Shanahan as the guy who comes back in games and stuff, right? Yeah. Like we think of Sh- Shanahan blowing big leads and poor clock management in pressure situations and stuff like that. Like Kyle Shanahan has built a machine. A machine that I've done before. Like football people don't even understand it. And football is hard enough to understand in the first place. Like, and it's really hard to understand how he does it. But the, the results have been a machine that's really good at sitting on leads. Like yeah. when they get a 10 point lead, when they get a 14 point lead, they have a machine that is very, very good at sitting on leads offensively and the defensive side that's been programmed. And the other thing that's changed in the last couple of weeks is that they haven't gotten those leads to sit on. And I think part of that is the yeah. defense falling apart a little bit. Absolutely. This team, if they're going to win games, how they win games, they win it on the backs of their defense. If they can't rely on their defense anymore, then that's a problem because you'd mentioned that stat, the Niners key to victory, get a lead, have the defense pin their ears back, rush the passer. And they haven't been able to do that the last three weeks, they've fallen behind early. They put themselves in uncomfortable positions. Um, and then battling out of those uncomfortable positions, as you mentioned, has just been something that consistently Kyle Shanahan in his time in San Francisco has not been able to do. Uh, will that be their ultimate undoing on their road to trying to win a Super Bowl? Hard to say, but uh, it's not. doesn't look good to have that on your resume. A legitimate 0-36 or whatever it is now is not a good number to have on your resume in those spots. But anyway, guys, let us know below in the comments section. What do you think of the Niners coming off this three-game losing streak? Do you think that they still can correct themselves and get back to where they want to be by the end point of the season? I'd like to hear where you're feeling about this team. Leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel. Follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you next time. I think this year, a lot of people are going to be feeling a lot of sympathy for Kirk Cousins after he tore his Achilles, even more so than normal, given his success on the Netflix series Quarterback, where people got to get inside the Cousins' home, learn a little bit about him, really connect with Kirk. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah, he he tore it this past week, and it, it was on a stupid decision, honestly, uh, by Kevin O'Connell. Like, it was third and 19, no need for them to really even drop back and throw They were up two scores against the Green Bay Packers. And on that play, Kirk tears it. I mean, it can happen on any play. I get it. But I I think even more so knowing that it was a throwaway play in a game you had already wrapped up. I think Kevin O'Connell should be a little bit disappointed in his decision to go for it. Uh, The Vikings, you know, they're in a spot. They just won a couple games. You know, the Niners get this win against Green Bay, their division rival. What are your thoughts about the Kirk Cousins injury and even the Vikings right now? They also made a trade for Joshua Dobbs today here at the deadline. Yeah, the Vikings are kind of in an interesting position because I was thinking about this on Monday. Like they're in this unique like buy and sell position at this point because this could be the last game Kirk Cousins plays in Minnesota, right? There's an outside chance Kirk Cousins never suits up again for the Vikings. He's a free agent at the end of the year. You're not allowed to franchise tag a player four times. So Kirk Cousins is ineligible for the franchise tag. And they're just in a really unique position as a franchise. Like I was stunned. They didn't extend Justin Jefferson this off season. I was stunned that they're still like kind of kicking the tires on that deal, even though this is, now year four for Jefferson and his fifth year option has obviously been picked up, but I don't understand why they aren't looking to extend him long-term at the price that Tariq Hill got as, as the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. But here we are with the Vikings. They're kind of in this weird transition phase and they're clearly not good enough to win a championship, but that's not the conversation with the Vikings, right? The conversation is for years, how can we just put the best team forward without tearing everything to the ground right the vikings entire game plan has been rebuild this plane in the sky without having to tear it to the ground and see if we can put the pieces around kirk cousins that will lead to success and they've gone through 
a general manager firing, a head coach firing. Uh, we might see a second head coach firing, depending on how things go with Kevin O'Connell. The Vikings are in a really interesting position right now, and I don't really know what the recourse is. And the thing that's even more complicated is they had like 24 hours to figure it out, <laughs> what the direction of their franchise was going to be for the next two years. And so they did the thing the Vikings always do, which is just punt it down the road and trade for Joshua Dobbs as a stopgap option. Yeah, Joshua Dobbs, he had some success this season. So I don't want to completely squash the player, Joshua Dobbs. But I, I got to say, I'm disappointed, or at least I would be disappointed if I'm a Vikings fan, that we couldn't make the Jameis Winston deal happen. I know people even would scoff at that and say, you want the guy that threw 30 interceptions in a season? Well, yeah, I mean, but also I'm talking about a guy who's thrown for 5,000 yards in a season that I think has way more upside as a player than Joshua Dobbs ever has. And Jameis, I don't know what his career is at this point, but if I'm just trying to fill a gap for a season, I think that Jameis would have been a better player for the Vikings to at least throw their chips in. Because at this point, they're in the position too, where they're not going to be bad enough or they shouldn't be bad enough to be at the top of the draft for one of these QB prospects. I mean, maybe they get lucky and a Penix falls to them or a Drake may falls to them, but they, the Caleb Williams option is completely out the door at a four and four record. Uh, the fact they have four wins, there's no way that they're going to fall all the way to the bottom of the standings for them. Like, you know, Joshua Dobbs, I don't know how much he moves the needle. He moves the needle more than their backup. They had, I don't even remember his name. Like when he, I saw him come off the bench, Jaren Hall, Jaren Hall, whatever, you know, it sucks because I feel like we jinxed him because when it, the last time we talked about Kirk cousins, I think I mentioned that it's like he's never hurt. He never gets hurt. Kirk Cousins always healthy. Now the first major injury of his career in a contract year, you know, I'm thinking about it for him. I think he still obviously is going to get signed somewhere. There's some team somewhere that needs to fix their quarterback position. So I don't think that it's like a career ender for Kirk by any means. I mean, how Achilles injury for a quarterback for what it's worth. We're literally talking about Aaron Rodgers coming back this season. For Kirk, it happened a little bit too late in the year, unfortunately, so he's probably done for sure. Next year, I anticipate he'll be healthy. He'll be ready to go. It's going to limit his options because not a lot of teams are going to be able to get a good look at Kirk Cousins in the offseason because he's not going to be available for a lot of those offseason activities in the same way. So that that's going to kind of diminish things. And then you talk about other factors, too, that the Vikings are talking about. Justin Jefferson dealing with this hamstring injury. He's probably going to miss at least the next two games just based off his IR status. And even then there was talks of he might miss like a couple more weeks beyond that with the hamstring injury. I think a lot of people are going to be asking themselves, what's even the point? Why even bring him off the IR or even mess around? I, I think the Justin Jefferson, who's still working for a contract, is still going to want to come out, show that even with a Joshua Dobbs and not just Kirk Cousins, that he can still ball out. But for both Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins, this is majorly impactful on um, how they're going to be viewed going into the offseason, too, when they seek a new contract, either in Kirk Cousins' case with a new team or in Justin Jefferson's case with his current team. Yeah, the weirdest part about it is that, one, they could obviously go and re-sign Kirk Cousins. Like, this doesn't mean this has to be the end of Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. They could totally sign him to a two-year extension and just ride it out and keep trying to rebuild the plane in the sky, even though they don't have much hope there. But the other weird part of it is like, they still might mess around and get the seventh seed in the NFC this year. And that's kind of the weird part of it. it's like the player, you, you can't really tell the players on the team that this season is lost when they have a puncher's chance of getting into the playoffs, right? Like that's the dumbest thing about this is like, even as we're saying, what's going to happen to Kirk this off season? Will they extend Jefferson? Do they tear it down? Do they build it back up? They made the stopgap trade of Joshua Dobbs just to get by for this year. They still might get into the playoffs. Like after all of this chaos, they still might sneak in the back door to the playoffs. And they might end up being that team that gets smoked out the room by the Eagles in the wild card round or something like that. But besides the point, like the Vikings are kind of in that middle of the pack and they've done a better job than I think almost any team in the league of rebuilding this thing while being in the middle of the pack. I think the only team that's done better than them is the Cowboys in never tanking, but still being able to build this thing up to, to still be sustainably good. I mean, 
drafting Jordan Addison at the end of the first round, incredible job by them. Yeah. Drafting Justin Jefferson in a pick that they got for Stephon Diggs, impeccable job. Uh, Christian Darrisaw, excellent draft pick by them uh, it, it, with the uh, offensive line. They have been doing a great job of building this team back up while never tanking. The problem is they are kind of in the middle still like the, the, they haven't done a perfect job, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I know some people were thinking Daniel Hunter would be available and for the right price that could get a rebuild up and running. But I don't think that's the game plan they're going for in Minnesota right now, because I mean, like I said, the weirdest thing about, Oh, you lost your star wide receiver. You lost your star quarterback. The wide receiver might come back, but what does it matter if Dobbs is throwing to him? Like the weirdest part about it is that in the NFC, they still might be the seventh best team because the Giants suck. Washington sucks. The NFC South's only going to put one team in the playoffs. So someone has to get those sixth and seventh playoff spots in the NFC, and it just might be the Vikings. Yeah, not to harp on it too much, but just, you know, what was your thoughts on the decision to drop back on third and 19 when you already have the game put away by two scores. Like Kevin O'Connell, I think needs to answer some questions on that one. I don't know exactly. I didn't really follow that conjecture until I saw it on Twitter the next day. So I don't think I have a real strong opinion about it. Where like when Sean Payton ruined Michael Thomas's career and he ruined Michael Thomas's career because the saints were beating the crap out of Tampa in Tom Brady's first game there. And he played Michael Thomas up 27 and Thomas broke his leg. And then he played through a season with a broken leg. And that has just hampered Michael Thomas's career ever since. Like when Sean Payton ruined Michael Thomas's career, that was one that I could point to and feel more outrage about. I think this one, just because it happened to be on a play where it was just kind of like a snap instance. And then your Achilles is torn. I think that's, that makes me feel a little bit different about it, but I don't really have a strong opinion either way. I know you were talking about it in our group chat about the decision, but I don't really have a strong opinion in either direction. It's just they were already in field goal range. Again, they're already up two touchdowns. You know, if they score a field goal, they're up three possessions. It's in the fourth quarter late. So Jordan Love, already that offense for the Green Bay Packers wasn't moving the ball a lot, if at all, at times. I think they even didn't even have a first down until like halftime. They were pretty bad. As bad as like the New York Jets Giants game was offensively, the Green Bay Packers were atrocious in the first half of football there themselves. So it was a bad decision by Kevin O'Connell. And I think if the Vikings were going to make any form of noise, because again, you know, you're, you're feeling good about yourself now. You had two big wins, one on Monday night, one against Green Bay. You're feeling good about yourself. And you didn't need to make that decision there. And then you, you win that game. You have a healthy quarterback. Then suddenly you go into your next week and you're thinking to yourself, okay, we could win this game too. I mean, heck, moving forward, you want to talk about the wildfire picture? If I told you they had a healthy Kirk Cousins going against the Falcons, the Saints, the Broncos, the Bears the next four weeks, the Raiders after that, that next five games, you could go three and two. You could go four and one in that stretch even if you had a healthy starting quarterback. Now that you don't, well, I mean, with Joshua Dobbs, how realistic is it that you have a winning stretch of football in these these games? I mean, he, he was fine for Arizona, but that's probably the best I could say. Fine. Like, yeah. is he going to be use Jordan Addison to the best of his abilities? Is he going to use TJ Hawkinson to the best of his abilities? I don't know. But I mean, I guess, hey, Kevin O'Connell, I mean, at this point, pressure's on you as a play caller because now we have to see how good you are as an offensive mind to be able to do it with a lesser talent at quarterback than what you had. Yeah, they have a very good offense and they have a ready to win now offense. That's why they traded PJ Hawkinson. It's why they drafted Jordan Addison and moved on from Adam Thielen. It's why they traded for Cam Akers. Remember that are, they already were buyers a month ago when the deadline was first uh, a, a distant thought they traded for Cam Akers to try and supplement the loss of Dalvin Cook. Well, that's another thing, too. Like when Joshua Dobbs was having his most success in Arizona, it was because James Conner was running like an animal without a running game in Minnesota. More pressure is going to be on Josh Dobbs to be a passer. I mean, this Vikings offense in itself is extremely pass centric. It's like a eight to two uh, pass to run ratio. And can Joshua Dobbs fit seamlessly into that? Again, I go back to the Jameis Winston decision to not trade for him, and I would say that Jameis Winston 
at least in a pass heavy offense, I might trust him more than I would uh, Joshua Dobbs in a pass heavy offense. And that's where it falls on Kevin O'Connell. Like you said, how are you going to change what you do on offense to placate to the skill that you have? And the skill that they have right now is Jordan Addison. (laughs) And the running game has been a little bit better since picking up Cam Akers, which suggests that like, hey, Alexander Madison was always a bit of a mirage. But I still think that the Vikings are a team that's kind of just trying to tread water. But even talking like trying to rebuild the plane in the sky, this strategy kind of reflects that, right? We lose... Uh, we lose our running back in Dalvin Cook. What are we going to do? We're bringing Cam Akers as a cheap replacement. Adam Thielen's old and expensive. We're going to get rid of him and bring in Jordan Addison. Uh, Kirk Cousins is hurt. We're going to bring in Joshua Dobbs as a replacement. It's like trying to rebuild this thing in the sky, and some of the moves work out, and some of them don't, and the end result is a team that's usually around five and uh, 500 most of the time. Now, granted, last year they were they were a historic aberration because they were 11 and 0 in one score games. And then this year they started out 0 and 3 in one score games. So, you know, it's all going to even out to 500 eventually. And that's why I feel like the Vikings this year, who are now at 4 and 4, at the end of all of this chaos, are now 4 and 4, <laughs> exactly 500, just like they always are. <laughs> at the end of it, they're 4 and 4. And if this moves works out the way they hoped, they hope it will. Maybe they get to nine and eight and nine and eight should be good enough to get you the six seed in the NFC playoffs. Cause last year, nine, seven and one was good enough to get the giants in as the six seed. So nine and eight will definitely get you in the playoffs. And like you said, their schedule isn't the, the most difficult the rest of the way. All right, guys. Well, what do you think of Kevin Connell's decision in the last game that got Kirk cousins hurt? How much blame do you think he takes in this one? Are the Vikings still good enough to make the playoffs with the inclusion of Joshua Dobbs in place for Kirk Cousins? What about Justin Jefferson? Should the Vikings activate him? Should they bring him in later in the season? I'd like to hear your thoughts on that one. Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you next time. You throw a fourth TD on a dime. You ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game. Three years, I thought you was phony. Got digs, then you flipped it on me. I was thinking you were Carson Wentz. You made your mark, became an MVP. Deep throws, always looking daunting. Tossed up to Davis and McKenzie. It's hard for teams to deny it. When Allen beats double safety, you keep losing to Mahomes. Sitting on the bench, 13 to go. Overtime coin flips turned up wrong. Makes your season seem so marginal. And this year you'll find a way Gonna get past Kansas City Allen and the Bills are gonna be Super Bowl champs 2023 Oh, I wanna run the ball Don't wanna slide I just wanna dive Send me the call And I'll throw the ball I wanna run the ball Don't wanna slide I'm just gonna dive Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. You throw a fourth TD on a dime. You ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins. Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes and take the Bills to the big game.
All right, let's talk about one of the weirdest teams in the NFL. The Buffalo Bills just got a big win against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Thursday night football, 24-18. to 18. So the Bills get to 5-3. and three. But man, that, that road to get there has been so crazy. So let, let's talk about that a little bit. So in week one, they get the New York Jets, a chance to establish themselves as the head of the division. Um, they're thinking in their mind, all right, we got Aaron Rodgers. This is not going to be that same old sorry-ass Jets team. Let's go in. Let's beat them head-to-head. Mano-mano will be competing for this division all year. And then Aaron Rodgers tears his Achilles. So insert Zach Wilson, and it's a game that it should have been a cakewalk. They should have won. Was Zach Wilson at quarterback? They should have won. Okay. Then we go to week two. They got the Raiders. Week three, they got the Commanders. Two dominant victories. Kick both those teams' asses. No problem. And we think they're rolling. Okay, they got their mojo back. They got their mojo back. In fact, they got their mojo back so much that they go against the Miami Dolphins, who literally put up 70 points, beat them, establish themselves. Okay, the Bills are back. Then they go to London, get beat by the Jaguars, a team that's been competing all year in the AFC Conference. Then they go Sunday Night Football. They got the Giants. They barely escape with a victory in that one. And then they get killed by the New England Patriots, the worst team in the division, a team that we literally said a week ago on this podcast was the worst team in the league. They get beat by them. And not only do they get beat by them, but Mac Jones re-earns his name as Mac Jones. He doesn't look like McCorkle in that game. So that's where the Bills are. That's how they got here. What do you think of this Bills team? Like, how do you evaluate them with how their schedule's gone? Are you worried about the Buffalo Bills? Because I'm not worried about the Buffalo Bills. Like, the, I know what the Bills are at this point. They are two through five in the AFC, right? Any If if Buffalo plays Baltimore in the playoffs, I have no idea what's going to happen in that game. And I feel like both teams have an equal chance of winning, right? Like, that's kind yeah. of where my feeling is there. So I'm not worried about Buffalo. The thing that's just, you know, might be disappointing or disheartening for Buffalo Bills fans is that I'm not worried about you. We just know for sure that you're not as good as last year. And last year, they didn't even make it to the AFC championship game. I mean, they lost in the divisional round against Cincinnati. You know, uh, you've joked before about how I'm a person who is constantly like, I won't call teams a disappointment because expectations are all just kind of relative and teams are kind of like making it to conference championships and being sustainably good as a success and I told you Buffalo was the biggest disappointment in any sport at all last year. Like that team last year was the most talented in the NFL and they finished third in the AFC. That was a outright disappointment for the Buffalo Bills last year. And this year's team will not be as good as last year's Buffalo Bills team. Last year's team was better than Kansas City on paper. And it didn't matter at the end of it because Buffalo never got to play Kansas City. They lost at home to Cincinnati before ever getting there. So Buffalo is in a really precarious position this year. I'm not worried about them, but I understand why people who saw them at four and three with losses against the Jets who probably won't make the playoffs and the Patriots who definitely won't make the playoffs and a Jaguars team that might be getting close to surpassing them in the AFC hierarchy. Like I understand why people were a little worried about the Bills before. I personally wasn't, but I understand why some people were. Here's what I'll tell you why I'm worried about the Bills. And I'm worried about the Bills, not from the sense that they'll miss the playoffs, but I am worried about the Bills from the sense that I don't look at this team and think of them as title contenders right now or true title contenders because you mentioned, could Jacksonville have passed them in the AFC? That's entirely possible. Last year, going into the game against Cincinnati, I didn't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting them to get their ass kicked in that game. A year removed from that shootout performance against the Kansas City Chiefs, where I thought they were closer to the Chiefs than the Bengals, I was disappointed in that game. So I feel as though when I look at this team, it just feels like they're continually trending in a downward direction. We know there was a lot of drama this offseason, too, between Stefan Diggs and the organization, whether that drama was between him and Josh Allen is still kind of a loose mystery there. But if your number one wide receiver is not happy, uh, they still haven't really fixed their running game. James Cook has looked a little bit better this season. Uh, Josh Allen, he's still making those like critical mistakes that you, you think about like when it comes to playoff time, when it comes to the common phrase nut cutting time, you know, of like, what do you got to do to win games in the playoffs? What Josh Allen does sometimes is just terrible decisions. And it, it oftentimes costs their team. I mentioned the Jets game earlier, right? 
the Jets game was there on a silver platter for them to win if Josh Allen just doesn't throw some of the asinine interceptions that he throws in that game. If he just literally takes a knee for the entirety of that game, does a little bit of water boy, uh, keep Bobby Boucher off the field, then the Jets would have lost that game by the Bills just by their early scores alone because Zach Wilson still didn't look great in that game at all. But no, yeah. he he had to play a little hero ball. He had to play like MVP Josh Allen or try to play like MVP Josh Allen, and he couldn't get it done. Now, in hindsight being 2020, that Jets defense still very good, but I still think that those were preventable interceptions by Josh Allen in that game. Well, it's funny that you said hindsight is 2020 because remember the MVP season for Josh Allen was in 2020. And the thing that was so unique about Josh Allen that year was he's still putting up the same passing statistics. He's still throwing the same number of touchdowns, still a focal point of the offense. The Bills are actually averaging more points per game now than they were in the 2020 season. The difference is he didn't turn the ball over very much in 2020. And now he's turning the ball over a lot more. Uh, Josh Allen, since entering the league in 2018, has the most turnovers of any quarterback in all of the NFL. And that is a problem. Turnovers are incredibly, incredibly costly in the NFL. If people want to rail against analytics or numbers or whatever it might be, like here's the analytic that everyone agrees to as a football fan and a football analyst. We were really undervaluing turnovers in the past. And in the modern NFL, turnovers are even more costly than they were in the previous NFL because everyone's figured out the most important thing is to not turn the ball over on offense. Aaron Rodgers began that revolution, and it's kind of evolved ever since as we've gotten access to numbers and data points. And so Josh Allen turning the ball over is what plays Buffalo out of games at times, or at the very least makes it so a game like against Tampa, where they're supposed to win by nine and a half points on the spread and a game that they were winning by 14 points going into the fourth quarter ends up being what you call nut cutting time closer to the end because he he had a turnover that led to a touchdown and now you've given the other team seven points or you're scrambling to the right and lateraling to a teammate across the line of scrimmage and that teammate's not prepared to get the ball so like yeah stuff like that is a is a problem for for Buffalo in that sense. And the other thing that I just want to touch on briefly that you mentioned is like, you're worried about Buffalo in the sense that they aren't a, a legitimate Super Bowl contender was something that you said. And I think that that's a twofold point because Buffalo is not a Super Bowl contender in the AFC right now. But at the same time, there's no shame in we will probably lose a road playoff game at Kansas City, right? Like there's no shame in that at this point. Buffalo's defense, which is their strong suit, is ranked ninth in the league right now. Kansas City's defense is ranked seventh in the league. Like Kansas City's defense, the thing that's not as good as their greatest offense in NFL history is currently better than Buffalo's right now. So like there's no shame in saying they won't win a road playoff game against Kansas City, but they might not get to that road playoff game in Kansas City because they're going to get their brakes beat off them by Jacksonville in a playoff game. See, that that's just one of those things that like you crush a football guy's heart when you say there's no shame in losing. There is shame in losing. There is shame for this Bills team in losing playoff games to that Kansas City Chiefs team. Because two years ago, again, they feel as though they should have beat that Kansas City team. So to say that they're taking steps backwards is shameful it's shameful by brandon bean the general manager you've mentioned it before they haven't drafted pro bowlers on offense since josh allen that's that is shameful that is a problem and whether that means that they should fire brandon bean or not i don't know but i, I know, tell you this it's not good it's not a good trend because this league moves pretty quick and you know the whole phrase you're either getting better or you're getting worse, but you're never staying the same. That's kind of what I look at with Buffalo. And it seems like they're getting worse because they're definitely not staying the same, or at least they're staying the same in terms of the offensive skill players on this roster. And by virtue, they're getting worse by it. We saw the AFC East also taking a huge step up this year. The Jets, we'll see what happens with the Aaron Rodgers situation. They really went all in on this year. They'll still have to probably think about their long-term quarterback play because Aaron Rodgers, just even if he does come back fully from this Achilles tear, he's not their long-term option at quarterback still. I th That's indisputable. But the Jets have improved, so at least for maybe two years, three years, they might still be good enough to knock this Buffalo team out. And then you look at the Dolphins, Mike McDaniels, he's a young guy. He's not going anywhere. Tua, still a young guy, still needs his extension. But still a young guy. They're not going anywhere. Hey, 
sign Tyreek Hill up for a few more years too. They're going to want to keep him around in Miami. New England is the biggest issue in that division in the sense that we think they're really bad, but at the same time, they just beat you. <laughs> and they came up with a game plan that was great to beat you. And that that tells you that even the easiest team in your division is not a cakewalk for you. So that's kind of why, why I look at Buffalo and I have legitimate concerns for them because here's the other thing too that's tough because Josh Allen, the type of player he is, suggests a shorter prime. Like his prime is amazing. It's going to be very good. It's going to be elite. But we saw this with Cam Newton, right? Cam Newton had that 2015 MVP season and then it looked like it hurt him to throw the ball after that because his body was so worn down. Josh Allen, we talk about him trying to run through defenders eventually, not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next year, but there's going to be a major injury and I don't wish it on the guy, but it's just going to happen. It's football. Ben Roethlisberger, it took him like over a decade to really get worn down by injuries. But once he did, it looked painful. It was hard to watch at the end. So Buffalo, they think that their prime is going to last as long as Josh Allen lasts. They think that they're going to be contenders as long as Josh Allen is on this team. But that may not be the case for them. They have to look in the mirror and think, okay, we need to maximize this window now because we're not guaranteed tomorrow, especially in this approving division with lots of young talent, lots of young talent at coaching in this conference. Like think about the quarterback competition on a year in, year out basis. There's a lot of things that tell you that their window, their championship window, it's expiring if it's not already dead. Well, this is the fucked up part about this, right? They lost to the Jets. In the first game of the season, they lost to the Patriots a couple weeks ago, and then they beat the Dolphins by 28 points. Like, that's the thing that makes no sense, right? They just dominated the Miami Dolphins in the game that they played at Buffalo. So this is why I think Buffalo's in that class where like, look, they beat the brakes off the Dolphins. The Dolphins are a team they're probably going to see or have a good chance of seeing in the playoffs. And if they're not going to see Miami, they're probably going to see Baltimore or Jacksonville, right? And Try telling me what's going to happen in the next Baltimore Raven game, right? Baltimore is just so unpredictable at this point. Jacksonville beat Buffalo in the first game that they played. Miami, we think, is the best team of those four, but they got the brakes beat off them by Buffalo. Like Those four teams are all going to have awesome playoff matchups, however they end up meeting. And your point about Josh Allen is a great one. He's already got the shoulder injury this year. Like he's already battling another shoulder injury after last year, he had a shoulder injury at the end of the season that some people attributed to their shortcomings at the end, uh, not just against Cincinnati, but at the end of the regular season where their offense looked a little bit more stagnant uh, and and they really didn't prioritize the run as much as they did in 2021. But yeah, I mean, Buffalo is not as good this year as they are last year. That's the, that's the important thing that you mentioned there. Like uh, we talked about road playoff games earlier in 2021, Buffalo was the 13 seconds away from beating Kansas City and a coin toss away from beating Kansas City. Last year's Buffalo team was more talented than that 2021 team. And last year's Buffalo team never even got a crack at Kansas City because they lost that home playoff game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Their best chance to win a championship has obviously passed them by. I don't think even the most optimistic of Buffalo Bills fans would argue that one, that this team is not the best team that they've put forward in previous years. Part of that is they haven't supplemented the the young talent and and players to uh, give Josh Allen a support system. But part of that is... Uh, obviously Josh Allen's regression. You mentioned the injuries. We've mentioned the turnovers. We've harped on Josh Allen a lot. I do want to talk about what Josh Allen does well, which is Josh Allen in the play action game is the best quarterback. Patrick Mahomes is amazing and he does so many things well. Josh Allen play action from the shotgun is the best quarterback in the NFL at doing that. That is the thing that Josh Allen does great. Buffalo has built an offense to tailor that skill set. Gabe Davis has five touchdowns this year, taking it over the top. I think all five have been from the shotgun formation this year. So Buffalo has done great things in that respect. Ken Dorsey might end up being an NFL head coach one day. He's on the fast track to follow that up. They've hired great coordinators, Josh Allen, and they've tailored the offense to Josh Allen's strengths. Uh, But the flip side to that is Josh Allen plays them out of games or their defense plays them out of games. Like that's kind of the tough situation that they find themselves in. And against very good offenses, they have, they have not been 
the best of teams on defense uh, over the the past couple of years. Uh, I think even you would argue that like, yes, Buffalo is Buffalo is not Kansas City. And uh, it sucks that this is the fourth year in a row for Buffalo Bills fans that we got to say the same thing. Buffalo is not Kansas City. I'm sorry to say it. You've given it your best punch, but now you are uh, clearly in a second tier where and and given the fact that they're now two games behind or no one game behind the Dolphins now because the Dolphins lost last week. uh, There's a chance that they will have to play two of the three between Miami, Baltimore and Jacksonville in order to even get a crack at Kansas City this year. And that is a tough ask for that Buffalo Bills team. I didn't expect to get as worked up as I did about the Bills, but here we are. So Bills fans, Bills Mafia, explain yourself in the comments section. Should we still think that your team is a championship contender? Is this title window closed? I'd like to hear your thoughts. Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.